Welcome back to The Bloom Line. It's your host and content creator, Michelle, and I have a phenomenal guest today. I'm super excited to let you guys in on the conversations that me and this queen have. Like, we literally sit in the car and talk for hours. <laughs> we really do. And uh, so I'm really excited to have her on. I'm just going to give her a second to go ahead and introduce herself. Okay. Um, I'm Frankie Baines. I am... We're in Utah. I'm from California. Um, I work in the nonprofit sector. I do facilitation. Um, my heart's work is storytelling and poetry. Um, I cook. I eat. I laugh <laughs> as much as possible. And I'm just super grateful to be here with my girl. Um, thank you so much for, for having me come today. All right. So how do we meet? Okay, how do we meet? Okay. <laughs> you remember that now. You remember that now. So, um, so Abby has these poetry events, 365 Poetry, and you have this Battle of the Sexes, and it was exactly a year ago, I think. Right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, like exactly a year ago. So, um, yeah, we're sitting there, and we're just kicking, just, just cracking jokes, just laughing. And, um, and in this kinship happened when we heard each other perform I feel mm -hmm. yeah yeah we felt really connected um and yeah. that was it we found out we were neighbors yeah we were right down the street right. Right. yeah that's true we worked mm -hmm. out well I can't keep up with Frankie um, she'd really, <laughs> like she'd be working out out um I'd just be trying to do enough just working keep, on her yeah I'd be doing enough to keep all my thickness together okay <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I met her at a poetry event and she was yeah. saying that, you know, she was looking around at the audience and she was kind of, mm -hmm. you know, oh about <laughs> performing her piece. She was like, I don't know if the audience is going to be responsible. I was like, girl, you better, you better <laughs> perform it the way that you, you need yeah. to perform it. And then after I heard her perform, I was like, girl. <laughs> If you did not perform that piece the way you just did, I would have been mad. It was amazing. Phenomenal. Thank you. The original slip and slide. You hear me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was such a good piece. And I would have been really mad if she did not um, if she did not recite it the way that she did. So, yeah, we met each other at a poetry event, which, mm -hmm. hello, duh. It was a great, great, great experience. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit, like poetry. Mm. And what is poetry to you? I think that's interesting because uh, it took me a while to try to put my poetry out there. Um, I started in about four years ago. So I'm 39, so I'm 35. And I have always written in my journal, written a lot of poetry. And I didn't look at myself as that type of poet because... My stuff doesn't necessarily rhyme. I don't necessarily do spoken word in the way that I see a lot of other poets do it. Yeah. And, yeah. Right? Right? Like, <laughs> I don't even talk like that. So I'm like, I don't see myself in this world, in this art world, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it took me a while to have the courage to trust my voice and to give myself the opportunity to share it. And so I started about four years ago. I stopped working. I was teaching and I needed a break and I needed to explore this side of myself. 
So what is poetry? It's your voice. Then that must be what it is for me because it looks so different from every poet. And the more that I explore poetry world, you, you hear those differences when someone is truly speaking from their heart. You hear something beautiful and different from every, every poet. So yeah, I think it's your voice. Mm, let me tell y'all something. <clears throat> let me tell you why I knew I was going to be friends with Frankie, right? Because honestly, when I first moved here, I'm skeptical about relationships with women in general. Um, and then I must have gotten like exposed to like the wrong clique of girls because I was like, they really catty. Yeah. They want to be the only black girl in town. Like, and I was like, who's the new black girl? What is this? Who is she? Why is she? Yeah, like you know, she's like, she's like loud and just like, like you know, whatever. And I was just like, listen, I ain't got time for this. I'm here for this money. I I'm really not here for this all this extra stuff. And so I've always been leery of relationships with women. That's just not a new thing. I grew up in a house of boys, so I mean, didn't really have too many growing up. Okay, but. I knew I was going to be friends with Frankie the day she checked me. Okay? She did it so nice. <laughs> she did it so nice. She was so sweet. Oh, let me tell you. So she invited me to an event. The audacity of me to talk out of my neck <laughs> at an event she invited me to. And there was a girl who was pro, uh, performing poetry, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like this piece is really bad. <laughs> she wasn't shining that night, yeah, you know, yeah. but <laughs> it was her night. It was her night. It was her night. We got to be there to support her. <laughs> takes bringing folks with you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you see you gotta see the whole person i know that's how that's how you show up for me you know so i really believe in being there for people in ways that aren't always comfortable 
and I might not have the biggest circle. I might not have this or that or X, Y, Z, but I gotta, if, if somebody's going to be in my circle, then we got to be able to say to each other when, when we're tripping, we got to be able to do that because that's how we grow. That's how you build. I was so grateful. You hear me? Yeah. Cause it made me realize like, you know what? Those are the type of relationships that you need in your life. Mm -hmm. Because I don't need people where I'm always the person doing those types of things. Because you're going to have a night when you're going to be on the stage and you're going to flop too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we can't have a night first. We have yeah. a night too. You know what I mean? You're right. And we got to be there for our whole experiences. <laughs> and I was grateful for that learning opportunity. I really was. I really was. So anyways, um, moving on. To the next question is yeah. how has poetry really played a part into who you are today? Oh my God, <laughs> I love your questions because <laughs> voice has been such a huge thing. Unpacking the lies that we were talking about when we first started um, um, our conversation, unpacking that silence and who I am, so I can. And it's not. It's so funny how it's subliminal because I know you know. As much as my family taught me to kind of, you know, make it and do the dance, they taught me who I was. Mm -hmm. My family taught me to love myself. Yeah. But the subliminals kind of eat at you. Yeah. It's a contradiction. Verbally, love yourself. You're so beautiful. Subliminal, hold your lips. Go to this class. Hang around these white people. Do this. Do this. This is, this is what's good. You know. So my internally, I'm wrestling, and I don't even have words for those contradictions. So the poetry helps me write it out. The poetry helps me find the words, and it helps me um, show up with confidence because I now I understand. Now I understand what I'm learning. I understand what I'm learning into. Um, it gives me that push, that momentum, that clarity. You know, so it's helped me feel much more grounded and it's helped me feel safer to do things that are scary and vulnerable and it's helped me understand myself better and love myself a little bit more while I have that process man poetry is so special honestly um poetry is when I feel closest to God (laughs) honestly yeah right and I always tell people the first book of poetry I mm-hmm. ever wrote was the like not wrote but read was the Bible, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of inspiration comes from. Um, but yeah, the, when I started doing poetry, I thought it was this like this image of getting on the stage and doing this okay. and just like you, I just yeah didn't feel like I fit in or if the words that I had to say when they connect with people like. Sometimes it rhymes, but not really. Like, you know, am I, I'm not talking about sex all the time. Right. Like, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was trying to find my footing in it, too. But poetry has definitely played a huge part into who I am today as far as yeah. being transparent, vulnerable, not being afraid to go there. Like, you know. So, yeah. I just, you know, question. Mm-hmm. Do you mind reciting a, a piece? Oh, yeah. Uh-uh. Um, I have that piece that I um, read that night. And I think because it's such a part of my growth, it's a little sexy, it's just a little bit. But 
relationship well damn I sat and thought about it and I think he's right well at least half right you see when I was a little girl little white boys were all I had to look at those little boys would look dead at me but not see me I couldn't blame them their eyes were not trained they had their models of beauty their mothers Jennifer Aniston and I wasn't it the women they saw in their homes, churches, on TV didn't look like me. So I became invisible, coochie, dry up, drier and drier every time a man looked right past me. And the message became clear, you won't need that. Fold her up, put that thing away. But you, give, but you better give these white boys what they do need though. A spokeswoman, a counselor, a dash of soul, a little bit of mm-hmm, a whole lot of, oh no, they didn't. A black dot in the top left corner of the company photo. Something to help them check off the box. And fuck, yeah, I'll sit in your seat. A crumb is a crumb. My belly needs filling so glad to get something I don't recognize. My own hunger to be seen. One year, two years, the months pass by, no dates, no D. And I'm not sure if it's them or it's me. I shrink, men pass me by. It's hard to tell where it all starts. Last night, I read that black women get an 11% response rate on dating apps. 11%. Maybe it's them. But lately, dark skin on the screen has awakened a part of me that's been quiet for quite some time. 
Viola, Day Viola Davis, Lupita Nyong'o, dark ebony limbs gracing the screen in full womanhood, unbothered by those who don't see them. They take up their space, they make their noise. And a whole part of me lost in the woods of disappointment was woken up. So I walked to the top shelf, pulled that bitch down and dusted her off, trimmed her up the way I like, and embraced her power. The truth is, no one had permission to make me feel less than until I gave it to them. So I decided that this pussy will not be disregarded. She deserves to be caressed and loved and tasted and entered deeper and deeper into her warm, sweet crevices, the original slip and slide. Dive in, it's summer, bitches. And the pool's open, but not to anyone. I'll take a worthy, thoughtful, loving, tender, kind, strong, hard, well, you know what I'm talking about. The point, I don't need permission to be seen. If you can't see all this, it's your loss. Believing that I'm worthy is half the battle and for so many reasons. So now I ask myself in the morning, how do I want to show up? So brother, it's half true I'm single because I forgot who I was. And today I'm embracing what may come with my full smile and my full laughter and my full joy. I am a woman. I see all the parts of me no matter who refuses to. This beautiful black woman will not be the last one to get laid tonight. <laughs> so, try to show up for this coochie. <laughs> Embrace my love and confidence. <laughs> okay, so I, I have a lot of questions, okay? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about a few things yeah. just on your piece because this is, as I'm listening for the second time hearing yeah. it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so powerful. It really is. But you know what? Because we live in a very, you know, sexually stimulated society. Yeah. The only thing that they're going to hear is the P word, is the dick. <laughs> like, that's what they're going to okay. hear, and they're going to disregard. Let's go in. There's stuff in there. The meat. <laughs> the There's stuff in there. Okay, so you said the part about hmm. growing up around white men, and they don't see you in their homes, in their churches, and so therefore you're not something that is desired. Mm. You see, they don't even see you. So if people don't see you, you start to feel invisible. That's just a real thing. That's a yeah. human, natural reaction and feeling to being a person. Like yeah. if people look past you, then you're looking at the, your, yourself in the mirror and thinking like, well, what the hell is there to see there? You know? So let's talk about that a little bit because representation really does make a difference. And there are people saying, like, well, why didn't you decide to be a strong black queen on your own? Why did you have to wait until you saw more images on the screen or in magazines or in, like, you know, seeing in, in places where women were respected and treated well, you know, because you gave the examples yeah. of those people that now you see on the front 
pages of magazines and things of that nature where now people are accepting the fact that black women are beautiful and we are three-dimensional that we have talents and we are more than just our curves and things that we have to offer men in a sexual way so tell me like what really brought this poem about that you were just like this i need to address these things it talks about the the half and half of it because i can't deny the fact that we are in a world that does not see us you know, that 11% Twitter is real. Like, I'm not getting likes on these dating apps like other folks. I'm not getting asked out, all that shit, right? Um, so there's that half. That's the reality of it. It's, it is very hard. You know, my ending line is like, I'm not going to be the last one to get laid tonight. <laughs> it's kind of hopeful. It's like, well, if at least I decide to see me. Maybe it'll attract something. Because then it's like a double... It's a double whammy when they already aren't trained to see me and I've slipped into that. I'm living into that. Mm-hmm. And I'm living into other tropes like, okay, I'm here to work for you. You know, you can be a good worker. And, mm-hmm. Oh my God, you've got wisdom. Mm-hmm. Those black women have wisdom. I shoulder the crown. I remember being in sixth grade and this is one of the, like, I think it was third grade when I was put into these little special classes. And they would sit around and treat me like I was Oprah. Let's ask her questions. What does she know? Let's play. Let's play Oprah. You know, when you grow up and <laughs> let's what is play it? Oprah. <laughs> fucking playing Oprah. It's like nineteen ninety four, and this is what the kids see. This is what they see black people do. And I'm grateful for Oprah. That's wonderful. Um, but she was our staple for a while. Yeah, that's all people saw. So then, that's who you are, right? That's that's what you can be, and you have to. Or, yeah, music video vixens. I mean, right. So I keep those out in the nineties. Right, right, right. So that helps us a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> Still unpacking that stuff, and I'm not disrespecting anybody who is um, who embraces dressing it how they want to do, if it's sexy or doing whatever they want to do, right? Mm-hmm. But. Um, Representation was everything. I remember seeing um, Boomerang and looking at the beautiful black women in Boomerang Mm -hmm. and looking at the way that they carried themselves. And that was huge. I watched that movie over and over again. And so um, it's so, it's how do you, just like you said, how do you climb out of not if you don't see it how do you climb out of of of, of your environment and see something different when people don't see you and you don't see anywhere else either yeah because even black men even when we're growing up they would prefer the red bones the light skin girls with the nice hair and the pretty eyes or they would date um hispanic women so the nice hair and the pretty eyes the nice hair and the pretty eyes but this is not nice enough for you. This is not pretty enough for you. You know, like, we already got it. Mm-hmm. And it takes so much to, like, lean into that and unlearn those subliminal messages. That's so, oh, she's so pretty and she looks nothing like you. So it's that subliminal message. <laughs> Where do I fit? Right. I'm taller than everybody. I'm thick. I don't have a booty. <laughs> so it's like, I don't even feel into the values that other people have. Um, I don't have the hair down my back. 
you know? So it was like, where do I even fit in? Right. But then, you know, well, a little bit also, maybe my brother, we go and we talk deeply. He was also talking that I was blocking a relationship, and I didn't really touch on it that much because of my own trauma. Mm-hmm. Because when you go home and in your family, they're saying awful things to you. So I had a family member that was living in our home who was saying, who was just in an awful state. Mm-hmm. And it was daily. Just the worst thing said to me all day long. Yeah. And so um, then I really learned the survival tactic was to just to internalize, turn within, and not trust my voice. You know, just silence, just to survive your day, right? Mm-hmm. So then that translates into the school. And then I'm like, I think about other black women who are seen, who, uh, who are dating, who are doing what they're doing. Because they're saying, fuck you who don't see me. And somebody likes that. Somebody's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm learning to say, forget you. Yeah. You know? But sometimes because of the way you look, mm-hmm. people don't get past that first step of actually even having an opportunity to learn about you yeah. as a person, right. your personality. They don't. And if you don't visually appear the way that they have this person that looks in their mind as to who is compatible with them or not like you're not getting an opportunity yeah so co-workers ask me so many questions about my hair and I wear it either like on a very low like a almost bald Mm -hmm. or like a flat top that's kind of what I do it works for me it's easy and I started to grow and they're like oh are you gonna do a big fluffy afro like Angela Davis like Mm. do you see me (laughs) so I had to Give her the load on how I wear my hair. You know, co-workers are like, oh, your brother's married to uh, um, an Asian woman, but she has pretty babies. Uh, you know, those things are so subtle and they're subtly saying the other isn't good. Mm-hmm. You know, like my hair isn't good like this way. Yeah, my hair is real they kinky. they realize what they're right. they saying. Look, I have an Angela Davis fluffy afro. My hair is... Kinky to the max. Right, yeah, that's not the standard of right. what an afro right. is. Mm. But, yeah. Mm. So let's get into that. Like, how did you end up in Utah? I had stopped teaching, and I knew that I wanted to have different conversations. I got into teaching, and it was a blessing. I was, like, 29, and um, I wasn't quite, quite clear on what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people. And so I um, got encouraged. Like somebody saw me tutoring somebody, you know, trying to make money, do my thing. And they were like, you should become a math teacher. So that was, that was the push that I needed. And I went ahead and did that for five years. But if it's not what you want to do, you, you just won't feel fulfilled. It will, it'll, it'll wear on you. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead, quit, had worked some extra jobs on the side, and looked at my money. And I'm like, I've got a lot of money saved up. So I went ahead and spent a couple of years off. And I was looking to transition into something more into like solving social problems, how to make the world a better place. And so um, I saw this opening United Way. I was encouraged to apply for United Way that they do this type of social work. And I saw this awesome opening. So I just threw a resume out there. It was in Salt Lake City. I wasn't worried about it. We'll see. And then took about seven months. In, took a few months for them to call me. And then a few months later, I'm flown out. And a few months later, I live in Utah. You know? It's um ended up being an interesting and a good move. 
That's good. Yeah, especially with COVID. You just in a lockdown over there now. <laughs> <laughs> right. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, the current climate of the world. Yeah. And our community specifically. How do you think a creative outlet helps you get the message across when it comes to humanity is concerned? Because I'm listening to your poem and I am hearing, you know, not being seen, mm-hmm. you know, being overlooked. Um, how representation is an issue and how it's important, um, how it has something to do with like who you are as a person um, being able to see images like yourself you know those things are very important have you written any pieces lately with everything that that's been going on and yeah good question um, because I do storytelling and facilitation I decided to pour into a project called Utah Convos on anti-blackness and it's been a blessing it's a project where um, helping build trainings to help folks have conversations in their home. So I haven't written because that's been taking up a lot of time, but it's also been creative in a new way that's energizing and fulfilling and beautiful. So um, it, it started off as an ask to folks to train their communities. Would you go ahead and train people? So there's some of our community leaders. Invite your friends to go ahead and have these conversations. Let's see how they'll evolve in all of our different communities, right? And so, um, so we have people of color, we have white folks, liberal folks, conservative folks, LDS groups that are having these conversations and everybody's having these conversations for different reasons, just like how we are unpacking our own internal black community issues, other POCs have their stuff to unpack when it comes to anti-blackness and it's really rooted in listening deeply to each other's stories. So I haven't written, but there's a part of me that's really really deeply believes that we all need to be writing. Mm. We all need to be talking about it. We all need to be sense-making. We all are storytellers, and we heal when we listen to each other's stories. And so that's what inspired this, and that's been pulling so much of my creative energy, and I hope it's something that I'm learning. I'm hoping that it's an effective way for folks to, with support, so the idea was have these conversations, use a toolkit that we develop, call us if you need anything, and we'll check in every few weeks to see how it's going, mm-hmm. you know? So people need support while they're doing this type of healing work too. So that's been my creative outlet right now. It's just been, that's been good. pulling me. Mm-hmm. I think that those dialogues need to start happening. Um, we need to start meet, meeting in the middle somewhere where we're yeah. able to hear experience, like human experience from each other because people want to throw statistics out all day long and that has been and statistics show that black people are experiencing crazy disparities <laughs> but they but they do but they yeah, just want to know yeah yeah you know but that's what i mean this they use them in a way to deflect from what's really happening in the yeah, world and that's becoming an issue they use it in a way where it's like they don't even have to deal with the way that they contribute to it and the way that, or that it's they don't inside of them. To it by right, just right, 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 right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, hey, okay. So you ended up in Utah. Mm-hmm. So you are 
already kind of weren't dating. Were you dating in in no. California? And then you come here. So I was living or... in Texas. So I stopped teaching and I was in California. Then I moved to Texas. Okay. And, and that's where you were for five yeah, that's, years. That's where I was for. I was in California for five years, and then well, I was, I'm from California. So yeah. Cal- so you was there for doing whatever, and then I moved to Texas, and um, went there to visit. Ended up staying. And went there to take a writing class. And so then it was, it just kind of changes your life when you go into a new environment, you try something new. And it was amazing. So I'm there for two years and then I end up in Salt Lake City. <laughs> wow. So, so you are, but you weren't dating. No, I, I was dating. No. Oh, so I did get engaged in Texas because I was there for two years. Engaged. I did. Girl, tell the people. <laughs> so I take this writing class and then meet this guy who's goofy and we just talk that night for like three hours after class. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. This is interesting. We have a lot of parallels. We both used to teach math. Like, interesting guy. And about four months later, I tell him, you know, I'm thinking about staying. I had met amazing people. I'm taking improv comedy classes. I'm starting to do stand-up comedy, which is another love. And um, so he's like, oh, you're thinking about staying? And at that point, we had hung out a little bit, done some trips and, and all that. And T was like, okay, well, <laughs> I like you. And oh, I'm like, you like like me? Well, you know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And so we <laughs> Oh, you like like me? <laughs> right? So yeah, so that happens, and I think it's really interesting. We could, I could bring it up here because Bloom Line also has a spiritual um, context to it too. Yes, because um, I was, um, I'm not someone who goes to church on a regular basis, but at that point I was kind of transitioning into where I am now. But I was practicing waiting for marriage, right? And that's what was really hard for him to see me through my mistakes so we have a i slip up and i'm like i think i'm ready but then i really wasn't well, that, yeah, you know spiritually your your, your right? soul is just like this ain't right but i'm stuck in old habits like you know this is how i was taught that this is how love is expressed and if a man doesn't get it from me he's gonna get it somewhere else and so i want to get right with jesus i want to stay right with jesus i really want to be in this place with god but there is a fear of me getting up in age and, you know, um, being alone and not having an opportunity to get married or have children. There's a lot that weighs yeah. in on you. Um, oh, I feel that. I feel that. What was going through my head was the beginning of the transition that I'm in now. So I'm not practicing church. I... Um, I'm, 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 I'm not asking as many questions as I used to. I, um, I practice more of a, a spirituality that's rooted in community. So I pour into my local friend groups. I have a meditation group that I practice with. That's just where I'm at. Mm-hmm. But I was transitioning into this phase. So right now, I don't sleep around loosely because I'm more grounded when I don't. And that's me. You know what I mean? I feel that. So, but if the if it if it if I'm ready and I've met somebody, then I will, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not. Have it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
right. keeping it real. But but at that point in time, I didn't have that clarity. You know, it's more based so, on emotion. Right. So we were work. So I felt connected to him. I wanted to, and he was like, he really struggled with me going back, and. Hindsight is always good, whatever happens, when it doesn't work out and what doesn't work out well. Yeah. Like, it didn't work out within maybe four months, five months after we started having sex, and it was on and off, then the whole relationship fizzled. And, and that was hard, you know? But it taught me more about who I am and what I want, and it really taught me how important it is for someone to see you as a whole person for someone to forgive you you know if that's what's going to be a problem on his end then then of course he can walk away that's what he needs to do but it doesn't mean that i need to have shame on myself because of what happened you know yeah dang i didn't know it was like that got engaged in texas and that's why I moved to San Antonio, Texas, because I was living in Austin, minding my own business, writing and shit, you know, <laughs> living doing my best thing. life, doing my thing. And then I met this guy, and he had different plans, so I decided to move in his direction. I believe you know what you know. So I almost feel like it was a pivot to go to San Antonio because I was so, I've always been one to work in the black community and do whatever I can and serve. So then when I went to, Austin, I just wasn't connected to the black community. I'm taking these writing classes around a lot of white folks, and I'm taking improv classes around a lot of white folks. I'm living in an eco village around a lot of white folks, and I'm having my hippie heyday, right? I'm learning a lot about me. It's awesome. I'm learning about permaculture, living close to the year, because I was living in this van. I went and took this whole left turn from the professional teacher career trajectory that my family had envisioned for me and I said no I'm a a different spirit than that I envisioned something different for myself I'm going to move in the direction I want to go and God blessed it within three months of me speaking it (laughs) I owned a van like I literally had no plan and then I sat down and wrote out a very clear plan asked for advice and counsel and within three months I was in Austin Texas with a van that was fully prepped and (laughs) everything and a safe place to live with really beautiful people who pushed me and and grew me so it was really interesting but yeah I was in Austin minding my own business and I go to San Antonio and I get connected to a black community and I begin to like dive in deeper into my own self-love and go deeper into my poetry and and meet different types of poets and look at the writing community that they have there and um, really grow. So I'm grateful that I got that transition, that shift, like push, oh, date this guy and move to San Antonio. So let me ask you a question. Okay. It's a personal question. All right. But do you feel like when you're single, you're fine? Clarity, you know what you want, you're driven, you got your Mm -hmm. goals, you're ready, like you're, you're confident in who you are, everything's good. Okay. Then you meet a guy. Okay. And then somehow those things start to fizzle down into what this possibly can be when it comes to a man. And then you kind of lose those standards and things that you had in place before you met him. And then you become a little more like, 
lenient? I used to. You know, I used to, and I'm so determined not to. So it's like, it for me, when you grew up in a home with someone telling you the things that I, that they told me, abusing me sexually, all this stuff. So it was like, no good, right? Mm-hmm. But then I was close with this person. I love this person. I want I had to stand up for this person, right? So I've been with men who don't treat me well because it feels familiar. It's mm. a brainwave pattern. I remember um, being with these young when I was a young person, and I remember being with two guys, and they were very sweet, but I didn't get it, so I couldn't stay with them. My, my my brain didn't understand it. <laughs> I could not. I couldn't compete with it. So about a year ago, I was in a situation with somebody who was familiar. It was too familiar with that same bullcrap. Needing somebody to pour into their bad behavior, behavior that belittles you, behavior that calls you out, calls you names, all that kind of shit. And oh, you got to stand by me, even though you're you're calling me all kind of outside of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just something that I knew and grew up with and, and seemed to just always attract. What was interesting about this last one a year ago is I saw the pattern. And I said, oh shit, I thought he was different. And I thought I wasn't doing my work. I thought I'm attracting different. Damn. And I left it, right? I left that situation. But it takes a while. It does. At you least I left it, patterns. right? Yeah. yeah, it does. You got to be able to see it. You got to be able to see it. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what I'm doing. Go. I gotta go. This person doesn't see me. And this person needs me to be for them in a way that will cripple them. Like they already know how to. They need somebody to co sign on bad behavior, right? And so, um, and I'm not saying don't see people for who they are and work for them, but there is emotional abuse. It is a very real thing that I know the red flags for, and I just, I'm not even gonna participate. So I haven't quite found that thing. But I'm interested. I'm sniffing at all the good guys. I'm looking at all the behaviors. (laughs) I'm super open to it because I know what I don't want. But I do know that the last couple guys I've attracted to have that same familiar feeling. And this is past few years. So it's like, okay, nope, it's not not yet. Not yet. Mm Because I know that pattern. I know that behavior. And I know how... It's almost like a secret language amongst abusers. People who've been abused and people who want to abuse again. There's like this language. Oh, they like sniff it out. You start speaking mm-hmm. and it's like, <laughs> you know. And it's like, oh, yeah, we like this shit. No. <laughs> Actually. Actually, no. Um, and I don't treat myself the way that I was trained to treat myself when I first experienced that abuse. So then it, it, it has to be internalized. I have to treat myself different. Put myself in a different environment or have a whole different relationship with myself so that my friends are different. The relationships are different. Everything is different. So that I speak a different language and I can speak that language with somebody else, you know? Facts. So you are open. Yeah, I'm open. I know a lot of bitter, just like, you know, sad and upset, can't trust dudes or like whatever, men ain't. S-H-I-T, like, you know, 
I realize that about you. All the relationship conversations that we have, yeah, you'll never talk negative. Is that true? About like, <laughs> you know, you'll say, yeah, you know, you had some toxic, you know, energy or like something that just didn't work out. But you, you always be like, no, like I'm out here, I'm looking for mine, like you know. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, what do you expect? to have because I believe that people can only yeah. meet you as deep as you can meet yourself. Oh my gosh. So so now that you feel like 100%. now that you feel like you have gone through doing the work 100%. and continuing yeah. to do the work, what do you expect out of a union when you do meet that guy? That we have because you gonna know. You're going to know. So, like, when I dated this guy and we got engaged within, like, three months, I don't think that's a bad thing. Because when you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And allowed the train wreck to happen faster. I didn't deal with this guy for a long time because we moved nice and slow and it wasn't right. Whatever. So, when you know something, you know. You know? So, <laughs> I think I went off on a little bit of a side note. But, um, I want the communication to be there. I want the... So, then that really... I mean, you have to really analyze the way that you talk to yourself, the way you show up for yourself. Do you treat yourself well? Do you have boundaries with yourself? Because I was reading to somebody that self-love is really rooted in a lot of discipline, too. You know, you have to treat yourself, you know. Got me a new pair of shoes last month. I said, you know, I'm treating myself. But I'm also setting clear boundaries so I can fulfill and realize my goals, that my word is my bond with myself. Right? I want that to be with somebody else too. And knows that it's a process. It's a it's a growth process that you're gonna fall short some days and then show up other days, but that you communicate through it. And that there's responsibility and ownership rooted in the face of it. And responsible for myself and he's responsible for himself. Right. We show up together, right? That's what that's that's the language that I that I'm yeah seeking to learn. Yeah, it starts with self, right? And to be able to yeah. build with somebody. Yeah, I, I truly believe that it has a lot to do with self. It really does. Let me ask you this question. Do you feel like your friends play a part in that? Because me as an example, yeah. I feel like I'm willing to let go anybody at this point because I can't fight for you and for me at the same time. You get what I'm saying? Like, like your friends that you be around, like the behavior and the things that you accept from them yeah. is ultimately what you're going to accept from other people. I don't believe in council culture, right? But I have lost friendships because they don't see me for who I am and the way that's healthy for me, the way that they treat me. If we're speaking that old language of, you know, self-deprecating, of disrespecting each other, not listening to each other, not valuing, not each other. Val- really valuing each other, making shit bigger than it needs to be without heartfelt communication. Right. I stepped out of that, so I'm not friends with those people anymore. And I was a different person back then, but I'm stepping into accountability, growth, building community, and I'm building in that direction with those people. So yeah, I don't believe in council culture because some folks. I've had heartful conversations and we're continuing to grow together. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a lifelong friend. You get to hate us, hurt, but we have this experience. Let's keep on going. 
but I can't be do that with if that conversation doesn't come up and it not even come up you got to show up for that conversation so I have Mm-hmm. But when you show up for that conversation and it doesn't go well, then you yeah, gotta keep you, it, you, yeah. you gotta tie your shoelaces and keep on walking, keep just like you do with a man. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta tie your shoes at age five. Let me you know get you some do. more water. Hold on, y'all. We on the intermission, real quick. <laughs> Trying to hydrate. You know when you talk on these. Yeah, I've been watering you No, no. Um, not just regular water, but. This is expensive, and I'm green. I don't like this single-use plastic. Go give me some of that tap. No, no, it's fine. Honestly, it's fine. No, because no, it's a because it's an environment. It's what? It's going to be the environment. I don't want to have two single-use plastic. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Like <laughs> what? But yeah, like we we have to walk into. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for being so like easy going. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and we're back. Yeah. Oh, you press it. Yeah. No, no, it's gonna record. I just cut it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because so, I listen to the conversations before I post yeah. them. I just like to hear mm-hmm. conversations over again. But anyways, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's man. When you realize the relationships that you have are really based upon how you see yourself. <laughs> mm. Gotta get in that mirror. That that that's quite the reflection. Yeah. So what has your experience been like being here in Utah? Mm. Making friends, black culture, like black community. Is it do you feel like it's here? What what are your thoughts? I've been telling people that I feel like I hit the the, the, the subculture. Like I got this entrance into like this 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 doors open and there's black people. Um because it can be very isolating in Utah. But I met through poetry and through just community building kind of work. I met amazing black people, so I spend a lot of my time in the black community. Um here and I'm developing really beautiful relationships. I think because I don't know what it is, but there are about three, four really beautiful women who are in my life. Uh, there's Ashley Finley, Ashley Cleveland, Asia Washington, and they just lift me up. They fill me. You, <laughs> shut up and leave folks out now. There's just a group women. of yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. all building. They're all people who are active in our community. Mm-hmm. And they're just not, they don't have a relationship with them that themselves is full of confusion. So we just get together and build and lift each other up. Yeah. Ashley has just, we just recorded her episode. So she, she'll. Which Ashley? There's too many. Cleveland. Yeah. And Alicia Washington, she's going to come on too. Okay. And talk about Curly Me and everything. But you're absolutely right. And I think for me, it's been a realization I was like, oh, crap. There are actually women who are mature. Yeah. And know how to communicate. And... (laughs) (laughs) I'm be honest with you. It's special out here, kind of. Not me. I was like, what the hell? I was like, okay. Because I 
Ashley Cleveland, she, um, I told her, thank you for reaching out, you know, for something like whatever. Um, and she was like, of course, I value you. I was like, oh, Ashley Cleveland is harsh. Okay. She's so real. Thank you. Uh huh. Um, but I'm just not used to hearing stuff like that from women. Like, you know, that, 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 what, that comes with a certain level of sincerity. Like, just genuine. I was like, I felt that thing. I, like, you know, I felt it through the phone. And I had, you know, we went to the movies and everything yeah. together. But, you know, as I'm learning more about, I mean, we talk. Yeah. But, you know, actually, we, we don't really talk like, I think now we talk the way that you and I talk now. Mm-hmm. And we're still building that relationship. But it was just kind of, I met her at the outdoor yeah. activity and then we went to the movies and I'm learning so much about these women and I'm yeah. like I was standing next to these women like what the heck like I didn't know yeah. you know I just didn't know that they were just such amazing women who are pillars in the black community here and I'm just like no wonder we get along cause like <laughs> you know I understand community. Yeah. I understand building. I understand like communication. Like, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh wow, it's great to know that there are women in the world, like, where it doesn't have to be catty and it doesn't have to be like narcissistic, you know, no. freaking personalities. And I was like, oh my god, this is so refreshing. Right? <laughs> this is so refreshing. So yeah, there's some good people here. Oh yeah, it's crazy. It's not a quantity thing. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy quality. Right. And I feel like God's hand is in this moment. There's special work happening. There's special people in place, and it's um, it's beautiful. I'm so grateful to be here in community. No matter where you're at, God's got you, mm-hmm. and He's yeah. Um, but I have to. I feel like it's. It would be a miss to not call out that we're in a space to build community because there's so many of us. COVID's trying to get us down. We're still connecting. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. You know, um, speaking of COVID, uh-huh. how has it been with like quarantine? You know, I know you said that you have a creative outlet, like you're still working yeah. and things like that, but like mental health is a real thing mm-hmm. right about now. There are people who have been out of work for months. So I'm super grateful and blessed that I have a job. You know, I'm still working. Everything's good. Our employer worked hard to make sure that we weren't laid off, right? So it's fine. I'm working from home. I'm doing my thing. Um, but I'm not built to walk 10 feet a day, you know? <laughs> From the kitchen, the fridge, to the desk, to the fridge, to the desk, to the fridge, to the desk, (laughs) (laughs) to the bathroom, you know? And so it's having me pull my discipline, like, even more, like, go outside, go for a walk, Um, get outside to see nature. Mm -hmm. And so it's making me, um, it's making me deepen those practices for my mental health. Because when you're also staying in a closed space, it's so it's so hard for your body to not move. It's hard for your mind to not have that variety of things to see. Um, so it's definitely been um, hard. But there's good and bad, you know, with the COVID. Um, 
I do think it's good that it's pushing me to have more of a disciplined schedule, get out and move. Um, I think it's good to be slowing down. And sometimes I wonder if we're in the state that we are of awareness of activism, the conversations that we're having, the way that we're addressing anti-blackness, um, the way the Black Lives Movement is thriving right now. Um, because we're slowing down. Yeah, people have no choice but to sit yeah. and look at themselves yeah. and to really, mm-hmm. there's no excuse. You can't go to work no. and go nowhere and like have a distraction. No. I think that this time, like you said, is very pivotal mm-hmm. in, you know, humanity. And I think that if COVID wasn't something that had us sitting yeah, still. Still, with what's going on with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many more names that so have just been had, like literally since George Floyd, there Absolutely. has been like 12, 14, like, you know, just more cases. Um, this is so prevalent. This, this happens all the time. All this day. Is, this is every day. And this has been forever. And this, this is nothing new to our community, you know, but I think that it you know, it hit mainstream media, and now with that plus COVID, where people are already at home and all they yeah. can do is, is absorb what's going on, we're even getting people whose hearts are changing and they want to become more active, and then you have those group of people who are just deflecting and they're just like, no, I just want to hold hate in my heart. And, and it's really sad. Just to touch on what you said a little bit better earlier, because I want the message that you shared earlier to be on air as often as possible. That I want people to check their or ask or look into their self interest when they're refusing to do things like see the suffering of others. If they're asking questions like, I don't know what to do, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? Because mm. I think you know what to do. Yeah, and I just feel like at this point, people are more concerned about their position in society, um, their position in so their social position in the world, where they're not thinking about humanity or like their position in God's kingdom. Because at the end of the day, that's where I'm trying to end up. And there's people who listen to my podcast who don't necessarily consider themselves Christian or church gores or whatever the case may be but I strongly believe that I don't give myself breath in the morning that's not something that I give myself (laughs) I I, the fact that I can wake up and take another breath comes from someone that is higher than myself yeah higher than you right higher than the people that we surround ourselves with and I think people forget the fact that life is truly a gift mm. and that is something that is given to you. It's not something that came with the Constitution. It's not something that came with, you know, state laws and, like, you know, the rights and things that we have in America. Yeah. God gave us breath. And there is nothing that I can credit to myself if that is something he gave me at the start of my day. And who are you to take this breath? 
and misuse it. So you're talking about, I wanted us to just like reiterate here on the, on the podcast so that if anybody just jumped in, that they knew that we're talking about um, people who are, who are paralyzed in this moment. People who are saying, I don't know what to do. People who are feeling like, I don't, um, I don't know where to go. Now, I'm not, and I want to approach that through asking questions, of course, because we're all where we're at. You know, yeah. we, some people may not understand it, but when you see someone in pain, I think you know what to do. And I'm asking that you just do that. And if you feel like you can't, I want you to ask, what do you have to lose? Because I think that's what's keeping people from acting. What do you have to lose if you were to stand up and say that you don't agree with the way folks are being treated or if you were to reach out and be there for somebody genuinely who's in your community, whether it's your work or your church congregation or your friend group, and really be there for them. Yeah. And really show up when people are talking wrong, when people <laughs> are disrespecting somebody. That's the moments that we need for you to show up. Yeah, I just... For me, it has just been, you know, they, people can consider me an empath, whatever that is, Mm because I feel a lot. And I was on my way to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I told you I went to go visit. Yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk about that. Are you doing a podcast on that? I am going to. I'm actually going to do a video because I got pulled over twice. Okay. On my way there. Yeah. And both experiences, man, I tell you, it just really had me in the car just thinking. Okay. Analyzing these two experiences, all the stuff that I've been taking in from social media, different platforms, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Mm -hmm. family conversations, like family conversations that don't even happen because people have opposite views you know and it's just like where do we meet in the middle this is very frustrating I realize that there are a lot of trigger words in the way that we communicate because I'm Haitian so if I see the colors red and blue and white I see the Haitian flag because that's relevant to me as a person. Talk about it. Yeah, there's such a whole different perspective. It's a different the perspective. The things that we value, we think that we own them. You know, they, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if I'm someone who works in finance, okay. my mind is thinking from that perspective. Yeah. I'm an economics major. Like th- things that are relevant to me as an individual, I can see the same sheet that you see. Yeah. But my perspective is going to be different. But we both need to understand this. Okay. So how do I communicate to you what I see? And you communicate to me what you see. And we meet in the middle so that we can understand. You have to, you, I have to value the way that you're looking at it. Hello. I have to value it. And I have to re- realize or value or, or acknowledge that it's valid and it's different than mine. Because my experience is different than yours. So we were talking a little bit in the car on our way here because we just go in and we get together about white supremacy and how that's the model for what is good. 
I've been reading a lot of different things at my job where looking at the white supremacy framework, if you Google it, if you haven't already, it breaks down what it looks like in the workplace. And it's daunting. It looks like pressure to do things now, not slow down, not think. It looks like, in these subtle ways, it looks like the perfectionist you see. It looks like there's only one way for rightness, all that kind of stuff, right? And so, um, it's so interesting how that white supremacy type of frameworks, I'm reading Joy Degrees, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, um, her book on that, and she talks about how infringing it is to have that, like this is the way it's right. So you look at this same sheet, your way, but if someone's so stuck on this being the right way to look at it, then you can't even come to a conversation. That's it. You can't you can't even come to an understanding no. so we have to see the person for who they are across the room and really value and under and and and, and ask questions get curious about the way they see it so you can see it that way too and 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 and, and, they're both and right. right and they could both be right and it's just i want people to understand that I am not phased in any way by white people. I do not feel less than. I do not think that they're more superior than me because my common ground is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So therefore, we all are on the same playing field when it comes to me because that's my foundation. That's where my perspective comes from even outside of my culture, my heritage, um, my sexual orientation, or me being a female. I yeah. mean, there are so many different perspectives in which yeah. I feel like I'm a part of all these groups, the millennials, the this, the that, yeah. the black community, the Asian community. The one, like, you know, it's, I can look at it from a lot of different perspectives because that's people. People are not just one-dimensional. They yeah. have different facets to them. So I feel like I do my best to keep my perspective coming from a place of love, humanity, empathy, compassion. Like, And I, it's hard for me to understand that people come and say they don't know what to do if they see someone bleeding on the floor, dying. Like, I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. I have been at odds with just my emotional and mental and even spiritual self right now because even in the church in which I serve, there are people who don't think that this is a thing. Yeah. It is not their covenant responsibility to care for someone who identifies as black. Our conversation is making me ask, if you can't help somebody then you're not in a relationship with them, what's blocking the relationship? It's frustrating. I, that's a question that I, I guess we would have to ask the opposing side because I don't, have an issue with serving I don't care who it is yeah because my heart is for Jesus my heart is for people yeah so when I see you I'm not like yeah 
when I look at a white person, even with the stereotypes that I was raised yeah. on, like, yeah, the first thing I think about is that this white person don't give a damn about me because of the historical history of this country. But I can still, in my mind, in my feeling, in yeah. my gut, like, I tense up. I don't trust you. I don't, like, there's a lot of red flags that pop up in my mind, and I feel uncomfortable. I feel uneasy. I feel, like, you know, threatened in some ways. Yes. But when I open my mouth, that's not what you hear. When I offer to serve you, you, you gotta, wouldn't even know that yeah. I was feeling this way unless I told you. Because I have made it a point for me to treat people with respect. So with dignity. I think this makes me want to kind of like redirect the conversation towards the people that we're in community with. For me, that would be my coworkers, um, and this can be, in a sense, <laughs> a call for those who are listening to think about the community that they're in. My community friends, my community organizers. I don't think folks understand how, for my whole life, I've been doing what you're doing. When I come into the room, I have to let go of my shit, right? To show up in the room to at least give this person another chance to not be like the other white people that I've experienced that have not seen me, walked over me, pushed me into a peg, right? So I'm uncomfortable every day doing that work, showing up stuff in that ward, dealing with it, working through it, so I can be in relationship with you. And that's the invitation for you to also do the same. It is. I just, yeah, it's, it's just a bit frustrating because you sound like a two-year-old, you know, wanting attention, like, hey, 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 I'm here. Hey, 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 I need attention, I need attention. When there's another human being saying, hey, hey, I'm here. I'm dying. dying. Like, oh, see me, see me too. Like, I'm here. But the other person is screaming like, yo, I can't breathe. I'm dying. Like, it's you sound like a two-year-old not getting their way, not getting enough attention. Because you missed out on getting a piece of candy or something like. And when you're talking I about just, dying, you're not being dramatic. No. The statistics show that we are 20, 25%. Um, the gap between the way the black kids perform and the white kids perform is like 25%. I was on a talk a couple weeks ago about mortality of, of black women when they give birth in Sacramento. And a, a huge disparity gap between the number of deaths of black women and white women. Um, we're dying. Um, economic growth is an interesting one. There's this New York Times article that talks about if a black kid and a white kid start off poor, what happens? If a black kid and a white kid start off rich, what happens? And no matter where it is, the white kid always performs better in ways that are stark. Like it's hard, no matter where a black person starts off, to navigate into adulthood, find economic security. 
were hungry. Today, <laughs> right now, and it hasn't gotten better from slavery. Because how do we teach each other better if I don't think the conversations in our homes are changing that much, generation to generation? Mm -hmm. You do what your parents teach you. Whether you actively do it in the same way that they did, but subliminally, are you willing to make those risks to really show up and be in relationship and help people that are hurting? Right now we're in a special moment and black people are talking about black lives. But this is for all disenfranchised bodies. Yes. This framework of power, whatever we have going on in the United States right now is disenfranchising all kinds of people. The babies are still in the cages at the border. Queer people are still being hurt. And it's been a long time. How do we get uncomfortable? To really be in relationship with people who are dying. Yeah. And be there for their justice. You know what to do when somebody's hurting. You, get, you heal their wound. You call 911. You show up. How do we get past our statistics into action? How do, we, how do people not give a damn about their own comfort? Really? So we can say, no, there's no kids at the border. Stop. And black kids are treated well enough so they can thrive. I mean, I think that you made a valid point about like it just not being about black people. You know, there. I think we know that. I, 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 we, we, we know, know that. that. We, we know that. that. We all know but that. But I think that it needs to be something that is said because. The opposing side seems to think that that's what Black Lives Matter means. No, it is not us against okay. them. We are in solidarity. Black people who are shouting Black Lives Matter are in solidarity to lift up other groups too. This is a complicated web of... Um, <laughs> and I'm pulling out all the... I'm thinking of all the words. I'm not grasping the exact word that I want to. But um, our system is built to disenfranchise and hurt people and it's hurting people in all kinds of segments in our communities right and black people aren't blind to that mm -hmm. this violence is happening to all kinds of subgroups yeah you know it's what I about mean? oppression it's about the fact that you can't question what they perceive as authority if you don't fit this certain type of behavior or the way that you look doesn't fit this mold that they have created in their minds or like what they get to control us right they get to control how we shop they get to control the type of jobs that we have and we don't get to disrupt their sweet little system so they can go and live this life so disconnected but so entrenched into their own power mm -hmm. they don't I can't even imagine the life. I have family that works with wealthy people and the way that they spend money is atrocious. And they kind of tipped you as a community, somebody in the community who's being disenfranchised to come and get a piece of this. So you can go and forget the suffering of your community and join us and play the fucking game. Mm -hmm. But um, it's violent. It's violent. And it's passive and people think that they're running around in their jets and having their fancy ass parties and doing whatever the fuck they want to at the cost of other people. 
get the fuck out of here. It's yeah. time for that to stop, right? Mm. Oh, I just wanted, I just want to make it clear that this is not a let's bash white people. Um, there are very, there are a lot of very kind people. Um, who happen to be white, who are standing up and have been some people who just realize, like, yo, shoot, like, this is real. And they are looking for opportunities to learn and grow um, and support the black community. And I welcome conversations with anyone who feels as as if, um, you know, they disagree or maybe... They don't. They want to understand, or whatever the case may be. I'm open to any type yeah. of conversation. Yeah. Um, but what I will not do is that I I will not debate or argue the facts and the reality of of what America is today and how it became yeah. what it is today. And so, like I said, if you can't own your ancestry and all that comes with who you are. Don't come and have no conversation with me because you're not being true to yourself, so I can't expect you to be true to me. Therefore, we don't have a common ground to build upon. So, um, But shout out to all the people who see that this is an issue with humanity. It's not a political topic. This is not a political conversation. These conversations don't come around when you know it's election year like no this is a conversation that we have been having within our own communities for many years yeah this is not something that's new the self-interest of the power structures isn't even colorblind like this is happening in all different types of nations with all different type of stuff um but the first thought i had when i jumped in was that the self-interest runs so deep in our nation. As I'm reading Joy Degrees, the, the post-traumatic slave syndrome, she outlines super clearly about how racism isn't like, folks don't really hate the other people. They're just not willing to give up their power. So they systematically did violent things <laughs> so that they wouldn't have to lose their power here in the United States. And that's how the United States was built. No matter what race you are, every different group got a different violence campaign against them so that certain people could maintain the power that they had to gain control of land, to gain control of businesses. I'm asking a lot of questions. How do we do business in a way where our practices don't reiterate the foundation of how those biz- how business started in the United States in the first place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does school change? School started to keep people prepared to work into factories. It was tied into the industrial system. And that's why kids are so disconnected today. It's moving from bell to bell, from room to room, so you can go to a factory job and do the same thing. We're, we're not, we don't live in that world today. How can our education system look different? How can all of our systems really be real for what we're living in today and, and reflect a world that believes 
that power is not at the cost of others. I think if we begin to ask our police system, people want to defund the police because that the police system was built so that people who had things didn't have to worry about those who didn't coming to take it. It was used to instill fear into black people. Um, how do we re-envision a whole different system that isn't rooted in that power dynamic, you know? Mm. All about the power. <laughs> Control. Um, and that's why it always start with the money. Yeah, it does. This is a lot about money at the end of the day. People want to keep their money, their power, and their influence. And they can't even imagine a world where that's different. Like, you really don't need... You need to <laughs> shit... I'm sorry, this is me being vulgar, but that's a little bit of how I look at the world. Like, people want to have a good... You know, they want to have somebody to have sex with. They want to have a pot to poop in. And they want to have a good meal. And you don't need to have it all extravagant. It's <laughs> for you to have fun and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And the wealth that people accumulate, man... I'm telling you, when people say, I don't know what to do, the 1% could just give us a drop. <laughs> the whole system will look different. See, the world's being shook up right now and they're looking at like, how can we do school different? We're asking really dope questions right now because we survive without standardized testing that disenfranchises kids. So for the next couple of years, universities aren't accepting the SAT anymore because kids can't really even study for it or take it. They could have been doing that in the first place mm. because those, those tests don't reflect the strengths of kids who aren't I don't have the words to say it. I don't think right. I, I don't know. Maybe I want to say it some kind of way. But the um, that testing doesn't represent the, the, like our kids won't perform well on those tests, and and they can do excellent in school. They can do excellent in in their adulthood. That test doesn't reflect anything about somebody's capability or intelligence, right? Um. So we're re-envisioning new things. They're thinking about making school look different. Maybe school won't be going to class to class. Maybe it might be more interactive. Maybe it might be smaller class sizes. Now we can finally get smaller class sizes. We've been asking for smaller class sizes for decades. 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 So now's the time to do this re-envisioning that's really magical, right? Yeah. We have to talk about power if we're going to talk about it, right? Yes. And it... I could see how that's an issue. Mm. I could definitely see how that's an issue because I feel like the system was set up for white men to be in power. Because even, I don't understand, my, for me, is something that I would like to understand is how even white women can yeah. say that they don't understand oppression. How they don't understand not having options or not having rights, you were seen as less than for how many years before they even gave women the right to vote, to have a voice. Like, why do we have feminists? You know what I mean? It's like, for, that's why I don't understand how people say they don't understand what's happening right now. Like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, how don't you know oppression? Or based on your sexual orientation, 
that someone gets to choose what you are worthy of and have access to and should be able to, what you should look like, what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right. I don't understand that. You know what I mean? People who are Christian, you used to die if you came out your mouth and said you were a Christian. You mean to tell me you don't understand oppression, you don't understand discrimination, you don't understand dying for what you believed in. Right. And then you look at black people as if we're the almost cuss. Like we're just what to this world that you can't understand and know what you should do to help someone that you were a victim of. The scenario is different. The characters are different. But the underlying message is the same. Don't question authority. You shouldn't be free to do whatever you want to do, even though it's our constitutional right. Can't be too free, because if you're too yeah. free, you might infringe on somebody's yeah. power party and they won't really like it. It's like, and that's what makes me so upset, because there's not one person on this earth no matter what you decide you want to call it has experienced discrimination oppression in different forms and then you turn around and you say you don't understand what black people is going through you're a liar you're in denial yeah you're not being truthful with yourself therefore i don't have any expectations for people i don't care if you white gay, Christian, whatever you want. Like, if you don't understand that, bro, don't come talk to me. Because it's not going to be a progressive conversation. And that's what's making me so, like, wow. I, I really don't get it. I, like, I honestly, that's probably one of the things that I can honestly say that I, I really don't get. I think if we were to close on anything, I think it would be that conversation piece. That's been something that's really been on my heart is how do we have these conversations? Because how do we have relationships? Like you're going to have conversation with those you have a relationship with, right? Or not really. Just you can have a conversation with someone who's willing to have a conversation with you. And that can develop into relationships if it's meant right. to. But you it can know be, what I mean? It can be. It, it's it's um. It's the kind of thing that plants seeds and changes people when we listen to each other and right. we become curious about someone else's point of view. Like, like you said genuinely curious. I have to curious. value what you're saying. Like, I may not agree. You know what, though? <laughs> but I have to value what you're saying because I don't know where you came from. I don't know your experiences. I don't know your walk of life. Yeah. And if I want you to hear me, how is it that I can't listen to what you got to say? You know what, y'all? We gonna go ahead and wrap this up because <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling tight right now. I'm feeling in my chest. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm starting to get emotional because I'm really having a hard time with this. Like, real talk. Like, I'm really having a hard time with this. I really am. I'm having the hardest time with this because I, I truly cannot believe how caught up people 
are and they own ASS right now. Just like so, you you, you can't be for real. It's frustrating. So if it's if there's any perspective that I might get if I'm gonna ask questions and I'm gonna kind of see what what is the person on the other hand who says they don't understand what they're saying because I'm experiencing that that same loss of words and I'm trying to understand and I understand that there are levels of realization there's the grief waves as people are calling them but I think the most empowering thing that I've heard from in the different conversations that I'm having is that you have to look at your self-interest in this. If you really be unclear about what to do, then I think that you gotta ask yourself, what what am I afraid of losing if I do something? And if that's not the case, it may not be the case. That's fine too. It could be a grief wave. Just lean into the relationships you have. Think about who's in your corner who could need some support. Lean into that and see what you can do. I don't think people need to be out here reaching and texting the black person they knew four years ago. Yeah, like, If they're not already in relationship with somebody. I don't need you posting a whole bunch of stuff on your feed about this. And I'm not asking you to go protest. I'm not asking you to get Black Lives Matter tattooed on your chest. Like, I'm not not asking those things of you. I'm really not. But I'm asking you to look outside of yourself and empathize where this person is going through. Yeah. Because you can't be like, okay, you see somebody on the floor just dying, they bleeding out, and be like, okay, well, just make sure your blood don't get on my side. I just really don't want you know, I'm walking. I on, just, I, I, I really don't want my go. shoes to get messed mm-hmm. up, and I don't want that blood tracing me wherever I go. Like I see the woman getting abused. I see you, like, but I'm just, I, I really can't be vocal about it though, cause I just, you know, you get it, right? Yeah. That's so what like, it sounds like when people say stuff about what's happening right now. It's like, oh no, like I get that your child got uh, abducted. And probably suffered some traumatic moments, but I mean, like it's okay because I feel like other kids go through the same thing too. Like, and they make it, and, and I met and one they, person, and they're strong, and they're, they're strong. like, and but no, I mean, girl, you you may have gotten raped, but it's not that big. I mean, at least he didn't like kill you type thing, like. To, So the thing that I think is the missing link when somebody says, hey, this other marginalized person made it, why aren't you making it? There is a string of relationships that help people make it, people. And just because that person made it doesn't mean that they need to be tokenized. And if there's something that you can do, then do it. No, you know what? I think people just don't really care that much, to be honest, because for them they being emotional or like being emotionally aware of someone else is life or death and or maybe it's that deep for them maybe they just don't care and I guess there's a lot of people saying oh well it's your responsibility to 
make sure that your life is blah 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 but I that's the purpose of us being here on this earth together is that we shouldn't have to go through things alone no it is that is the purpose that is the purpose of community yeah it is I'm glad you brought that up but I mean to each their own I think at this point I'm not really expecting people to care about me my perspectives and the things that I have going on for my community and it's just not important to them I would love for it to be but if I'm focused on that then I can't have the pro- the progressive conversations that I need to have within my own home the pro- progressive conversations that we need to have within our own community to move us forward as a people because why and I guess that's why people say that you know, I was having a conversation with someone, and we're gonna end up, uh, we're gonna end this real soon, you guys. It's like, why do black people want the approval of white people? Like, why do you care? Mm. And I'm like, it's not approval. No. It's the fact that why can I exercise my rights that you guys are saying that back then we didn't have, but today everybody has equal opportunity. And I'm like, well, why can't I ask an officer why I got pulled over then? Okay. Without them feeling like I'm challenging their authority. Mm. When I have the right to do so. Why do I have to be subject to someone walking up to me and speaking an African dialect? Because he assumed I looked <laughs> a certain kind of, Like, Boldly. you know what I mean? Like, what? Well, Why? Why do you have to put things like equal opportunity a part of a conversation if things were equal from the beginning? Why do we have to make room in corporate America for minorities? Because they weren't making any room. Like, this is not something where we're just like, oh my gosh, we're just, like, we're not freaking crazy. We're asking for the rights that America says that we have. That's where the Black Lives Movement is. Bro, this is the stupidest. That's where the Black Lives Movement is helping us be in relationship with ourselves. Like I was sharing, like that own growth that I have. Like, folks may not see me, but I see me. And I'm not even trained to see myself, but I'm. That's I had to fight like hell to do it. Right. That's what I'm doing. And that's what we're doing here with the Black Lives Movement. Like we're we're gonna get we're gonna be seen. We're gonna do our work. We're gonna push growth in our communities. We're gonna push an awareness here because it's not there. It's not being no, it's being over. But but you can't do that though. No, yeah, I have to because I have to But well, no, have to be white alive. people are saying that you can't do that. Oh because okay. don't call it a black owned business. Why are you segregating? I thought this was something because that was the, you didn't unity. make a space for and me. And it's like, <laughs> when, and it's like here we are trying to help our community, right? We form organizations that is for us by us, I and then you turn around and you say, "Well, y'all should be doing this. You should be educating your community on this, and you should be doing this." And, and then we go and we do just that, and then you're mad at the fact that we say black owned business you're mad that we have black lives matter 
You're mad that we have the NCAA. You're mad that we have the yeah. Urban League. Like, I don't, this is, that's the frustration because we're creating organizations to educate our people. And God damn it, we can't do it without y'all being offended about some shit. It's so because weird. we're not doing it the way that you guys think we should. Why do you need the groups in at work? Why do you need that? Yeah. Don't you? What do you need an African American club for at work? Well, they got one for women. They got one for LGBT. They got one for the millennials. Like I don't. Why can't we have one? Like, I don't. That's the thing that's so frustrating. Because it's like we try to do what here we are trying to do what y'all tell us that we need to do. Educate our our community. Then y'all mad. And have a uh, have a feel a feeling it makes you uncomfortable when someone why do you say Black Lives Matter? God damn it! You just said for us to fight for our own community. <laughs> what did you want us to call it? Tell us. If you don't see me, then I have to see myself, God damn it. right? Like, well, well, what? Like we can't win. <laughs> right? But it, but you can't though because. When you go and do it, they tell you, oh, well, no, no, no. It's still not the standard of whiteness. That's what we're building new shit. Bro, I, I just I just want I just want white people to just tell us what what do you suggest we do? But that's why we have to build the way that we're building. We're building our own stuff. We have to Keep a pushing until they can get on board. And I think that's what they're starting to do right now. They're starting now folks are like Juneteenth needs to be a national holiday. You just have to keep pushing. Keep seeing Yeah, ourselves. I mean it's a wrap now. They don't like it's I don't that that's the reason why I hope people understand that I'm just frustrated with the ideals of what people are pushing. I know. And I know that and don't try to tell me about my community where you ain't on the front lines, where you're not leaving the comfort of your whatever, white privilege, no. nice whatever, coming down to help serve the black community. I don't want to hear it. And I'm going to say this. like I know that the things that they're doing right now, the Juneteenth, whatever, these little small things, the conversations no. about defunding the police, whatever, whatever things are things that are late in the game and are really at the end of the day. But we'll Quite take it. Long. And we, we will take it. We will take it. But then it's, it's about time. It's about time. It's a, like all these big corporations like pledging, doing this, you know, giving money yeah. for systematic racism, um, um, systemic racism. And I'm like, well, are you changing your executive leadership? Yeah, talk about it. You're going to start changing your marketing? You're going to start putting more brown and black faces on your products, on your, in your marketing. Let's just try putting black people on all your marketing for a little bit and see how your sales <laughs> I, I I want those types of changes. You know, there's a lot of people who've been stepping down from their positions and saying, like, yeah. no, I would rather a black person do it. Thank you. Because those are the type of changes that we need. Are you guys going to start doing that, though? That's real. Because giving money, that's great. But real change is making actual changes. And those are the changes that I want to personally see. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you know anything about business, 
when you donate to an organization that is considered a nonprofit, that is a tax write-off. So that's great. You're giving $100 million to do X, Y, and Z. I'm glad that your accountant can write that off for you. So I would like to see the executive staffs being switched out, changed out. More people of color and black people at those tables. I would like to see when white people start walking into their financial reviews that there are more black people in those rooms. Because that's where it matters. That's where it matters. Things ain't gonna change if we don't economically start putting brown and black people more, like promoting more careers in finance. Because if white people walked into a room that was full of brown and black people when it came to who manages their wealth, Absolutely. you think right now people looting and spraying on buildings is gonna be an outrage? Wait till they feel that, oh my goodness, the same people we oppressed for 400 years is managing my millions of dollars. Let's really see what that conversation looks like. I think it'll be harder to hold on to power. That's my hope. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. Is I get that. I see y'all giving out money, that's great, but change your executive staff. Let's see you do it. In all industry. Yeah. All these pro-black people who are wealthy and they have money. In all Artists, um, musical artists, uh, visual artists, actors, actresses. Just like Beyonce is demanding that Adidas have more diversity in their room, I want to know how diverse the people that are sitting in their rooms when they do their financial reviews. Demand that there is more diversity in those places. Because that's where the real change starts to take place. Having more diversity in your executive staff and your leadership. Not trying to keep people at management level down here. Like, no. Give people the respect they deserve. But again, it's about that power. And power don't look like black folks. Until we change your perspective. Exactly. I'm just... I don't have all the answers. No, we don't. I know that there is a bigger picture in which I could be missing some, some, some you know, some points. Um, I don't know how the world works. I'm not in government. I don't know all the pieces to the puzzle. So, I know that there is a certain level of ignorance when it comes to me voicing my personal opinion. Um, but I do know that things need to change. Yeah, I do. And mm-hmm. if someone will please educate me on the pieces that I'm missing, that would be great. Because I would like to speak from a place of knowledge and I can't research or learn things about things that I don't know. So, um, 
Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Um, thanks for going in on this conversation to kind of wrestle through through these questions. Mm. We talked about a lot. We did. We talked about a lot. I think we got about two and a half hours. We do. We're going to have to listen to a two and a half hour conversation. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm going to break them up into two parts. Okay. Part one and part two because I don't, I don't want to miss... Um, any, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like we had a really great conversation there. The blue line would be all right. Okay. But um, do you have any final thoughts? Like what you're oh, feeling right yeah. now? Like you know, what you want to leave the people with? Um, what do I want to leave the people with? I've been thinking lately about how the hand and the feet do different jobs. The shoulder, the eye, did something different. Mm-hmm. And just to be very real about what you do and do what you do and don't be worried about doing what the feet do because the feet does what the feet does Mm -hmm. and be in conjunction as the hand you can help the body so how can you support what somebody else is doing but not be worried about having to do it if that's not really meant for you to do right so there's different parts to this and different pieces of it and I think it's important when we're clear on our role and supportive of other people right Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, there's a certain level of expectations that I don't have. Right. I'm not sitting and waiting on anybody. Yeah. I'm gonna do my best to do what I can do for my community of people. Yeah. And me having an opinion um is not going to deter me from that, you know. Um mm-hmm. me demanding to be seen and heard yeah. and all those things is rightfully so but I will never feel um, what am I trying to say it does not matter to me I will never feel less than anybody who tries to oppress me or tries to decide what I am worthy to experience for whatever reason, whether it's because of my skin color, my sexual orientation, whether I'm a woman. Or a millennial. Or a millennial, (laughs) or like whatever it may be. If you feel like you have to hold me down in order for you to be able to move forward in life, or, or to feel like somebody that's not somebody that I ever am concerned about when it comes to determining my my worth. Like, I'm straight. So, I appreciate you coming on and us having these conversations help me to better understand my stance on things, my way of communicating things, and knowing when it's time to stop when you start getting frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) We can only do so much in yes. one night. So, I thank you. So, yeah, thank the Bloom Line, listen, her social media handles and her website is going to be in the description yes. so that you'll be able to connect with her. Um, we are still evolving, still growing, still learning. And um, 
And like I always say, be good to yourself. Be good to each other. Peace. Peace.